1: Hello, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Sorry, that sounds like I borrowed from Del Big Tree here, but welcome to an informed life radio on 1150 a.m. KKNW in the greater Puget Sound region and also streaming live to CHD TV. So, you know, maybe around the world, we might be having people tuning in here today. Um, I wanna thank our generous um, donors who make this show possible. Uh, This is all volunteer, all donors, um, everybody pulling together, trying to keep freedom alive, um, keep censorship at bay, and to make sure people have the information they need to make critically important, informed decisions in their life. And there, there is a, a really important um, medical case I want to discuss, but I'm going to bring on our guest and, and invite him to discuss it with us. His name is, well, it's Edward F. Fogarty III, MD, but we all call him Ted. Hey, Ted, welcome to An Informed Life Radio.
2: Hi, Bernadette.
1: Hey, so, you know, I've got in front of me this big long list that's your bio, but it's too stinking long. So you are an accomplished radiologist. You're really into hyperbaric oxygen. You've got a list of credentials and publications and inventions and all these amazing things that you have done in your career. And what I love about you is you have always stood in your truth, spoken truth to power, I, no matter what it may cost to you professionally, you know, you put people, patients um, first. And I want to thank you for that. Thank you for being you.
2: Thank you. <laughs> <Very> <laughs> so,
1: patient. yeah. And it's been, you know, you've been on the show a few times in the past, but it's been a long time. I, I don't know how long it's been since you were on, but it's been quite a while and I've missed you. Um, yeah, so before we get going, though, I, I want to tell listeners and you about the story. I'm going to click over and read something here. Um, so here in, in the state of Tennessee, we all just got alerted late last night and today. There's a little baby boy. His name is August. He's six months old, and he's in desperate need of a heart uh, transplant. Uh, He is at the Children's Hospital in Vanderbilt, uh, the Vanderbilt Pediatric Heart Institute. And one doctor, Dr. David Burrell, is standing in the way of this little boy getting a heart transplant. He's insisting that the child get completely caught up to date on all vaccines, including getting a COVID vaccine before they give him a heart transplant. And the little boy's on a vent. He is, he is dying is what is being reported. He needs the heart now. Yeah. And in, this, in the state of Tennessee, um, was passed this le- past legislative session, we now have a law that says that a uh, transplant cannot be withheld from a patient based solely on their vaccination status but that is what the doctor is doing and the mother has is making both a religious and a medical decision she and the and, uh, the, the child's father believe that the vaccines are dangerous for the child they put his mm-hmm. already fragile life at more risk
0: mm-hmm.
1: and they've made the decision that they do not you know and plus there is no time they want him completely caught up he needs the surgery now yeah um so um, I know you've been involved in a lot and you can't speak, you can't give medical advice on the air, you know, but you've been involved in so many different cases where there's a lot of ethical dilemmas going on. I was wondering if, if there's anything you knew, any advice that we could pass on to this family in any way.
2: Well, to help um, the
1: child.
2: yeah. Thank you for that question. And, you know i I do plenty of medical education and ethics education across the airwaves and the Dakotas and elsewhere across the nation with some of our some of our friends and family and the uh resistance to what really is a um a horrible human rights violation in and of itself which is these m r n a vaccines and the spike protein is coming through the, the radiology literature, pediatric cardiology and radiology literature, you know, where radiologists around the country are reading MRIs, cardiac MRIs on people who have vaccine spike protein related injuries. And so, you know, the ironies of this case are, are just, uh, biblical. Yeah. Um, and my heart just aches for this mother and this this father and this family. Yeah. That the hubris of one physician would um, actually win over a state law. And I, I happen to yeah. be a radiologist. I'll be reading from in this room tonight. I'll be reading films from Tennessee and teaching wow. ICU patients. mm
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, Physicians who are taking care of these ICU patients in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. About what's going on with their hearts and their lungs, and
0: yeah.
2: all these CT findings, and so, um, so you know, it's just it is, it's absolutely unethical and immoral, and yeah. actually against state law that this physician is is um, yeah is putting is putting a uh, a a fraud riddled system of medicine mm-hmm. in front of his patient. And so from, an, from a Hippocratic standpoint, and yeah. a Hippocratic ethics standpoint, uh, there should be some complaints to the board uh, yeah. regarding this physician's behavior.
1: Yeah, I, I hope something is done. I don't know all of the different avenues being pursued. I would hope a judge is being called to, you know, get to intervene and pull this doctor off of this child's case, I mean, there's, there's, no matter how you look at it. If you look at it, even if the parents wanted the child to get caught up on all the pediatric vaccines and get the COVID shot, it could not be done in time to save well, this child's here's, life. Here's, it doesn't.
0: Here's,
2: here's the other thing. Sorry to interrupt, Bernadette. But, no, that's good. Um, <clears throat> that child could be tighter checked right now. Mm-hmm. could be tighter checked and it could be that they already, that child already has the antibodies to many of these things that um this this position it, is trying to f- trying to force yeah. the child into um into a racket and this racket has long been uh basically destroyed by
3: yeah.
2: uh you know a lot of words of a lot of great people including bobby kennedy jr and myself included there there really is there's no ethical moral reason for a person to have any vaccination event when they already have the antibodies they already have the byproduct of the vaccination Mm -hmm. event running through their bloodstream and we can prove that with modern diagnostics and that's where as a radiologist you know we're the chieftains in radiology we are the chieftains of the of the top top rung of technology Mm
3: -hmm. and, and,
2: and and diagnostics. And so for, for, for these other physicians to sit here and, and say, you know, well, we're going to need a, an MRI, we're going to need a CT, you know, to plan the surgery. And, uh, but we're not going to, we're not going to fall back on diagnostics for the sake of this child in this physician's practice, where this child could, doesn't doesn't need to be caught up necessarily based on what I've pioneered in the Northern Plains. I've done tighter check vaccine protocols, uh, you know, and Paul Thomas has been doing the same thing out in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. And and th- that's where the Hippocratic imperative
4: mm-hmm.
2: is that, okay, if you as a physician feel that your pa- patient needs to have this immunotherapy, maybe you should check to see that they really need it first. Yeah. And this case, this, this case can be, can be an example, a teaching case for the entire world, the entire nation, the great state of Tennessee, to say, hey, look, ethical vaccinomics concepts here, which I have been writing about for a long time in our crowd, and and getting off in the underground of of small ball media, including the Bismarck Mm -hmm. Tribune. That's the point here, is that natural immunity may already exist for even COVID in this child
1: yeah
2: um one subclinical and and this child has cells we can measure t-cells now to covid uh that's another that's another thing that the 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 grid that the Mm -hmm. the racket doesn't want to tell america is that not only do we have the ability to document that you've had the infection with your antibody response but even when those antibodies wane we now have Mm -hmm. a clinical system available to check the t-cell receptors and SARS-CoV-1 has people who survived SARS-CoV-1 who have still have natural immunity that is robust 18 years after their infection.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: And so will- this is, that, that's where this is completely unscientific to 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 force someone into a racket in order to to secure their medical care. It's There's- unscientific and it's. Yeah. Unscientific.
1: There's um, and I absolutely agree with you, there is a complicating factor that I didn't yet pass on um with the child. And I I I was told that I'm not reading it in the literature, but I was I was told it by a spokesperson from the family is the child does not have a spleen. And right.
2: So, so H2A syndrome is is another immunological liability for people who are born that way.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And and so and so from the ethical standpoint of, of what we've been told by all of these public health officials and all of these proponents of, of over-vaccination is that, well, we need, we need to over-vaccinate everyone to protect those who cannot, who cannot be vaccinated and to protect. And so on a herd immunity ethics basis, it's like this one child should not be held up, uh, from, from having a life-saving, uh, organ transplant.
1: So at, I'm and at six say, months it's a, old, isn't so
2: it? Else around that child having been vaccinated and, and, and why aren't they checking the titers? or Again, have why, immunity, why, why, right. why isn't anyone checking the titers? It's like and like tires for air pressure. This is the basic, yeah. most simple immunological diagnostic thing to do in, in all, all of, all of what I, we've been doing in, in, in immunology is, is, right. And and there's no there's no specialty of medicine, there is no specialty of medicine where you don't you you go and 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 do something three or four times, only to figure out that didn't uh, <clears throat> work. You know, yeah. I, you know, I, I, my family we have three kids that all got Hep B shots through childhood, and their mother, my dear my dear soulmate Carolyn, was hyper immunized to hepatitis B when she was a teenager and she, she actually had a transient uh, myelitis. Um, she couldn't walk for two days
0: wow. and,
2: and she, she has sky high antibodies to hepatitis B surface antigen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of course you publish this on um, in the informed choice, Washington uh, website, my, my open letter to the entire state legislature
0: mm-hmm.
2: that goes through very succinctly, and in, 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 in also in a very human interest way, exactly why we should be checking titers before we before we go and, and vaccinate in, into a human being that already has antibodies to the, to the vaccine itself. It's, it's called mm-hmm. immunointerference. interference. It's the right. simple concept, yeah. but the racketeering agents, the people yeah. who want to sell trillions of dollars of vaccines around the world, That that information is so powerful that they they want they want to suppress it in every medical school. And I've taught in a U.S. medical school, and I have taught our students. And I got the policy changed at UND to say that if you do not have a vaccine record, you can have a tighter check, evidence based medicine approach to continue on your clinical. That's uh, fantastic in medicine, and that's and that's exactly. How I how I've been mm-hmm. running and operating for my entire career. I have no vaccine records. The records of my of my immunologic response to vaccines and or infection is all documented in in simple titer checks. And wow. so that's 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 the that's the that's the uh, David versus Goliath truth yeah. here.
1: So let's let's talk for a minute about a six month old baby, right? Where is their immune system? So we know from studies, you and I both looked at those, you introduced me to some in in particular that are so amazingly powerful. Um, So the baby at birth has some passive immunity from the mother and and continues to be protected by um, passive immunity, either from the mother's um, experience with wild infection or Mm -hmm. from vaccination, yeah. And and then if the mother is able to nurse, that continues more flows from mother to baby during that Correct. time period. I I don't know what's going on with this little one because the little one's been sick since you know it was he was born. So he might not have had that the the breast milk. I don't know. But when you talk about the immuno the immune interference, it is well documented that the first couple of months of life, probably up until at least eight, nine months. The first vaccines don't even do anything because your nat your the passive immunity from the mother negates the vaccines. Right. Isn't that correct?
2: It's, it's that's exactly correct. It's a waste of money it, it, and it's yeah. unethical And so, so on day one of life, when when you have a, a mom like Carolyn who's actually hyper immunized and has is flooding our children with tons of, of antibodies to hepatitis B surface antigen, which is, that's the one epitope that's used for the hep B shot. Um, the, our kids are already well covered on day mm-hmm. one. Of life, And, and, mm-hmm. and so then when, when that shot happens and there's an aluminum load associated with it, that is unsafe at that level and th- that age and body weight period. End. there's, there's no debate about that. Mm-hmm. And our good friend, um, James Lyons Weiler has published, Lots of of incredible pieces on that, mm-hmm. and so when you when you when you look at it from a, from an ethics standpoint and a, and a racketeering standpoint, we have an entire nation sold on four million babies born in this country every year, and a fifty dollars shot that is completely unethical.
1: Mm-hmm. All risk, no benefit. To exactly.
2: The that's that's two two hundred million dollars. To, for, for yeah. uh, free money for Merck. And, right. and then, and then when you look at, and when you look at it this way, you know, as physicians, our Hippocratic oath informs us that we we're to do no harm first. And yeah, yeah. if you're, if you're practicing medicine in the right way and, and you, you understand these tenets which some of my colleagues at UND in family medicine, went went with me on 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 these issues in policymaking. They they all understand. Yeah, you know, Fogarty's right. These kids, you know, I vaccinated this this mom, and we and and then while she's pregnant, we did a Hep B series, and the Hepatitis B surface antigen levels are in the mid range, which is a signal that she's not actively infected, and it's also that she has active protective antibodies for that child. On day one of life, mm-hmm. there's an equilibrium <clears throat> that was that was going on for nine months between that mom and that baby. And on day one of life, that HEPI surface antigen antibody level in the mom is the same level on that on that on that baby's first day of life. And then it decays in an exponential fashion where mm-hmm. it's a half-life. And and we've all we're all taught in medical school maternal derived antibodies from the placenta. Have a six month half life, which means even at a year, you still have one quarter of mom's level uh, that you were born with.
1: I'm curious what role the spleen plays. Since this child does not have a spleen, does that impact how long um, the maternal antibodies are able to protect the child?
2: Um, it can. And, you know, the spleen is a major immunologic processing organ. Mm-hmm. uh within the you know outflow of of what's coming through the portal vein system and and uh and and just from the splenic artery and, and shunting all of the immune system cells at least regularly through the spleen that are in circulation
0: mm-hmm. is,
2: is a conditioning situation um for you know and again we, we, we we're so antibody focused but the, the immune system is not just antibodies antibodies mm-hmm. are like the drones in the military of the immune system. You know, we're forgetting about the natural killer cells or like the Marines on the ground. Uh, we're forgetting about the, the, all these other, the T-cell uh, system. Um, so there's the, the acquired immunological system, which is the antibodies and the T-cell receptors. But, and, and then we also have an innate system, which
0: mm-hmm.
2: doing a lot of the heavy lifting whenever we are infected with anything.
0: hmm
1: So, um- Have you ever heard of your your other specialty in life that is doing such amazing work? And I want to move on to talking about some amazing recoveries is hyperbaric oxygen. But as far as this baby goes, uh, they've got the little one on a vent now Mm -hmm. Um, is hyperbaric oxygen. Again, you can't give medical advice, but is it something that could be explored to help this child until a heart is a, you know, a transplant could take place Would it. Cause I know, you know, the studies are showing that like uh, with COVID that event increases your risk of not surviving, but HBOT increases your risk. It has a much higher uh, recovery rate.
2: Well, um, um, you, know, you know, teaching again is not medical advice, but the, um, you know, from out of my international crowd of hyperbaric um, specialists, um, there's an Indian physician who actually rescued a teenager's heart from a congenital genetic problem by uh, doing this advanced mixed hyperbaric stem cell therapy. And so, um, the the teenager was put into hyperbaric protocols to increase his own stem cells and also to create the appropriate milieu for for these exogenous stem cells to go in and, and rescaffold into the myocardium of this, of this teenager's heart. Um, and so, you know, basically preconditioning the body, and, and this is in the literature, you know, if, if somebody in this crowd in Tennessee is listening to us, or this gets out to somebody in the, in the Tennessee crowd affiliated with this case, if you go to PubMed, again, this is my favorite teaching thing, go to our national taxpayer funded database
0: mm-hmm. type
2: in type in hyperbaric preconditioning and you will see and this is really coming out of the cardiac surgery literature but orthopedic surgeons around the around the world are using this technique and, and when you precondition the human body for a surgical insult it helps heal them through that surgery because you're 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 generating stem cells in the bone marrow and, you, and you're, you're incre- increasing the regenerative capability of that human vessel and that soul in that body, that regenerative medicine play makes surgeons work a lot better, a lot more efficient. Mm-hmm. And I've had multiple multiple <clears throat> uh, patients in the Dakotas and now in Iowa, including uh, my, my, my partner, Brad Meyer, who have done surgical preconditioning, to, to have phenomenal surgical outcomes. So let me just talk about Brad's case. Okay. And, and um, by the way, so I'll go back to the India case super quick. So what happened was um, the, the Indian kiddo basically had um, stem cells from a, a donor who, who does not have this gene defect. They, they did a cardiac catheterization on him. They injected the stem cells into the coronary vessels. They went and grafted on into this kid's myocardium. They then put the kid back into the hyperbaric tanks for another 10, one hour treatments. And, and this kid now basically has the genetics of the donor of the donor cells. Those genes are now working in this kid's heart. And this kid is, should have been dead three years ago. Wow. And, and is still walking the so, planet because it was an advanced hyperbaric stem cell injection technique. And and so and so that's that's the, a beautiful play where we're, we're pulling all this together for stem cell technologies and also using hyperbaric oxygen therapy to support the nutritional needs of a very expensive stem cell injection. And so so that's where, you know, this whole case, it, this kid. You know, I don't know what the underlying uh, myocardial problem is. And, and, and it may be a mm-hmm. structural one. And, and we, when we have structural issues like tetralogy of flow and these other things, you know, it's it's basically the surgeons have to do what they have to do. And a stem cell graft isn't going to help. But
0: mm-hmm.
2: but a hyperbarics before this kid goes to surgery and after this kid gets out of surgery is going to make that surgeon look like a superstar. Mm-hmm. And this is not going to have any postoperative complications at any kind of rate compared to what everyone else does in a normal baric world of surgery. Okay. And so, yeah. that, so that's where hyperbaric preconditioning is the greatest, it's the greatest thing. It's the Holy grail to make surgeons around the country and around the world look like they know what they're doing because you rev up the entire immune system. You, you don't have a post sternotomy infections. There, there's just, you protect the brain. The mm-hmm. brain is one of these liability organs for these cardiothoracic surgeons where they, they get into a tough case and then you have an anoxic brain injury during the during the OR in the operating room. And so you've, you fix the heart and then you've, you've basically turned uh, your patient into a sponge brain.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And so that's the other uh, imperative as to why this this international hyperbaric preconditioning crowd is basically continuing to publish.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: This is this is how we make our surgeons better. And so so that particular surgeon that pediatric, you know, pediatric cardiothoracic surgeons are literally probably on the totem pole, uh, the top of the, the top of the line with the pediatric neurosurgeons. And and it's it's a ton of advanced training and it's a ton of stuff. But if, if you're get, if, if we can bring God into the picture, and, and may God may God bless us with somebody in that Tennessee hospital hearing this and saying, "Well, look, let's let's look into preconditioning this child with hyperbarics. Let's look into preconditioning this child's post-surgical course with mm-hmm. more hyperbarics and and help help heal that heal that." Um, That surgical insult, and I can I can tell you already, from the mindset of a surgeon, this surgeon is looking at this case thinking this kid doesn't have a spleen. I need to use every tool I can that's out on the marketplace Mm -hmm. to help protect this kid's immune system and to help protect me from having a bad outcome and complication of of an infection that ends up killing my my patient. Mm-hmm. And so, so from the humanistic standpoint, as a physician, that's, that's where I know that's where this surgeon is. This surgeon is thinking, I've got to do everything I can to make sure that bad outcome. And so we need to get all these vaccines on board. And I'm here to tell you, no, you're, you're, you're actually wrong. You, you need to do hyperbaric preconditioning and, and hyperbaric post, post, post surgical recovery. And and so getting back to my my dear partner and, and brother in, in hyperbarics in in Okoboji, Iowa, Brad Meyer uh, did, had a full thickness uh, Achilles tendon tear um, when he was playing basketball with his son on a Sunday in late January,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and um, and so we we. I, I'm like Brad you just created yourself you're the perfect sports medicine case now for us for preconditioning. So Brad got into the tank 90 minutes a day before surgery. His surgery is in the first week of February, by the end of February he's walking without crutches and he's and he's driving his car and he has totally healed a full thickness Achilles tendon tear that in the normal barrack world in a 45-year-old person, mm-hmm. that takes 12 weeks of recovery. You're not allowed to drive. You're not allowed to do, you know, if you're in medicine, I have a, I have a partner up in, in Bismarck, North Dakota, suffered the same thing. He was in his fifties. He, he didn't use the chamber that I put in his, in his basement as often as Brad did, but he, mm-hmm. he, he was basically doing interventional radiology procedures with me within six weeks instead of 12 weeks. Mm-hmm. So Brad cut that time in half with just hyperbaric air therapy Mm -hmm. in the home, in his own home. And, And in three weeks, he completely recovered one of the most difficult tendon repair surgeries to recover from because there is no blood supply to the Achilles tendon. So all of the oxygen that has to get to the Achilles tendon interfaces with those surgical sutures has to diffuse molecularly diffuse from out of the bloodstream through capillaries surrounding the, the tendon that are literally a centimeter away from the center of the tendon. And so when, so when you're, when you're putting somebody in a hyperbaric environment and you're increasing the pressure by 30% and you mm-hmm. put them in a nasal cannula oxygen concentrator, which is 95% oxygen. Now, now, now you've increased the amount of dissolved molecular oxygen that can go through a gradient downhill now from the bloodstream at much higher levels. And, and from that downhill molecular gradient, it can, that oxygen now gets into that center of that tendon healing point. And, and we, we basically cut it, cut his healing time by, by a third. And this also parallels the experience of the Argentinians with COVID infections. Argentina just set up a, a they had to stop this trial early because of the phenomenal results they found. Wow. they used, they used <clears throat> care for medication regimen
4: mm-hmm. for
2: covid uh, including azithromycin as a as an antibiotic and a couple other things a steroid and then they took two pa- patient groups they they put one matched patient group with just the medical therapy alone normal in their in four public hospitals and then in in the, the other group they added they augmented with 1.45 ATA hyperbaric oxygen therapy. This is a low this is a low pressure protocol. Is it's is this
1: um normal, I'm, I'm going to share the I'm going to share the screen here. Is this the study that you're talking about right here? Is this it? Uh, hyperbaric yes. oxygen resolves covid 19 breathing problems m- much faster than standard therapy.
2: No, no, yes. Now look okay. at this from an economic standpoint, Bernadette. Okay. Mm-hmm. The Argentinians had a length of stay of normal baric for medical med, medication regimen. Their length of stay in the hospitals was nine days for these mm-hmm. COVID patients. Mm-hmm. When they added, when they added in a similar population, just one point four five ATA hyperbaric oxygen, it's right on the line between medical and non medical grade. They cut the mm-hmm. length of stay down to three days. Wow! Look at the economic boon that is for an entire society.
0: Wow! Mm-hmm.
2: And and then and then this goes out in Reuters. And if you read down this Reuters uh piece, there's American physicians that were interviewed and they can't quite figure out how that would work in America. And it's like this is physics, people. This this works around the world the same way. Yeah.
1: The- <laughs> um, well, you know why it doesn't work the same way in um
2: America, because in of America,
1: well, because, yeah, because the NIH has not put um, hyperbarics as a covered countermeasure. Therefore, it's not financially incentivized. And if they deviate from that, they don't get the the tens of thousands. If not, it adds up to hundreds of thousands of dollars for doing the NIH protocol. Right.
2: right Bernadette. But here's the thing. The top the top the top medical institutions in the northern plains, UNMC, Creighton University, University of South Dakota, University of North Dakota, the governors of the Dakotas, Nebraska and Iowa. Yeah. They all have people. They all have people in their stations who have all heard from me and have all learned from me that this simple physics. And this is this is the simple physics that is undeniable. And and I broadcast this with with you and on Patty Finn's show in, in New York mm-hmm. City. And yeah. where did the archive of that broadcast go? It never got recorded. the the, but this is the point there's no endotracheal tube ventilator system on the planet that can compete with a hyperbaric pressure vessel in oxygenating the human body Mm -hmm. and so the simple math is this we start to have pneumothoraxes which i'm catching on these computers over to my right every night on patients who are intubated in icus across america
1: put that in english um the the first part of that the pneumothorax Explain. Well, that.
2: You, you basically have a collapsed lung. Once, once you're intubated and, and you're on a ventilator, your physician cannot increase the pressure, cannot pack more gas into your lungs
0: mm-hmm.
2: by more than 3%. So every breath you take on a ventilator has a hundred percent oxygen at 3% more packing.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. If you're, if you're in NYU's phase one hyperbaric oxygen trial at two atmospheres. Hundred percent oxygen which in april of 2020 proved that proved that this is what we need to be doing in every icu in america yeah and Fauci knows <laughs> it. every 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 top every top person in the brass and nih and cdc and all these people mm-hmm. if, if, if all you got to do is look at this nyu phase one trial and it's like yeah we should have been spending tons of money not on ventilators on hyperbaric chambers and so when you have a, when you're doubling the pressure, now you're packing, you have a hundred percent oxygen. I don't even need to intubate you, which is, it's a lot easier for everyone. Uh, you know, a mass unit uh, could survive on hyperbaric chambers mm-hmm. you know, uh, in airports. And as we've discussed before, airporthbot.org is that's, that's the mass unit protocol mm-hmm. system for using hyperbaric jets to save the yeah. entire world against this, these pandemics there's no rna virus that can that can actually run your immune system into the ground when your immune system has all of the, all of the oxygen it needs to process this stuff and yeah. so at two atmospheres we're doubling the number of oxygen molecules that go into your lungs with every breath and so so w- would you rather be would you rather be put on an, on a ventilator where we can only add three percent more oxygen to your to your blood mm-hmm. plasma yeah. Or would you rather be not vent not put on a ventilator and put into a hyperbaric tank mm-hmm. and, and very and very gracefully by the laws of physics supercharge your immune system to go defeat that pandemic virus? And and I think that's that's the key point here. Everyone in America who's ever seen this or understood this very simple physics, this is high school physics,
0: mm-hmm.
2: knows that hey, that's exactly what we need. That's exactly what we need. We we need to be able to increase the amount of oxygen delivered to all of our cells through breathing in twice as many oxygen molecules under the under the simple graceful physics of yeah. hyperbaric oxygen chambers.
1: Yeah, and you know at the very beginning of all this, you and a team of amazing hyperbaric experts and engineers, aircraft engineers came up with the plan of, you know, there were all these grounded planes and there's still, there's still plenty of grounded planes because suddenly we have a, a, we have a pilot shortage, um, which we won't go down the rabbit hole on that. But, um, every plane is basically a giant, um, hyperbaric chamber just waiting to be used by. Yeah. When it's, when it's on
2: the ground, when, when it's on the ground and, and actually this happens every day in America, Every day in America, every day around the world, there are at least several jets that are on the on the tarmac. They're turned into one point five atmosphere hyperbaric chambers and the ground crews are going through those jets to check for leaks. So you have you have three or four ground crew uh, folks inside the inside the chamber with wings, the the hyperbaric Mm -hmm. jet. And you've got a couple on the outside. There's, There's these ports on all jets. There's these ports for these industrial size um, air compressors, and and so so it's a hyperbaric air environment, which is 20 percent more oxygen. Which even that is still better than any endotracheal tube.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: You're increasing if you're increasing the the oxygen uh, pressure by 50 percent, and and then you have a drop down nasal cannula oxygen uh, on the jet, which would be employed in a crash landing scenario you're you're basically turning everybody in that jet it, on the ground into mm-hmm. you're giving them a one, them- 1. It- atmosphere hyper-birth. yeah
1: you know and it's just it's just like one solution obviously you know, early treatment protocol is ideal. Actually, prevention protocol, making sure you've got your vitamin D and zinc and C on board. And then right. early and treatment, making sure you've got your COVID Tennessee. kit, your hydroxychloroquine, your ivermectin. You can say ivermectin on this radio show. We're not censored right. here with that word.
5: <laughs>
2: Tennessee made it over, over the counter. God Ooh. bless the Tennessee legislature and the and the governor there. Yeah. Ivermectin is over the counter. In North Dakota, there's a bill that got passed in the fall of 2021. 20, uh, to mm-hmm. basically protect every every doctor wanting to write a prescription yeah. for ivermectin, and, it's still challenging to get. General,
1: because, yeah, it's yeah,
2: yeah. And the attorney general of Nebraska put it in a 44-page uh, essay, basically that th- there should be no problem with any physician yeah. writing for ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine. Yeah. yeah, and and I've saved lives by communicating across the airwaves and and teaching people that if if you're if you're a horse person, if you've got if you're a rural a farm person and you've got ivermectin that you're using on your animals anyway it's the safest drug in the history of the world uh it's best to rub it on your back as a paste so that it goes in transdermal and then you don't get sick you know with nausea and anything else from the corn paste and you Um, you can turn turn around (laughs) your loved one overnight with horse paste on your back
1: yeah it it was so funny though that the, the final word in the senate when this bill was up and it's it was making over the ivermectin over the counter available from a pharmacist with consultation and there's other steps involved in everything but you can basically walk in if there's a collaborative agreement in place at that pharmacy it's a private deal that they do and you can buy it but um senator nicely who's who's my senator he stood up and his final word was this it was it's a whole lot easier to go to the pharmacist and tell them how much you weigh than it is to go to the the farm store and figure out what size horse you are
2: mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: so he's so funny i he said it much better um, right no but, but it's
2: politically that it's was politically the gist. And powerful that it's over the counter yeah and, and you know here again um uh, acetaminophen should not be over the counter it's most no. over-the-counter yes. drugs ever and tony fauci in in 1991 proved that the the, the greatest nutraceutical is N-acetylcysteine because it goes in at the cellular level and it ramps up glutathione levels, which then shuts down reverse transcriptase, which is the Achilles heel of all RNA viruses. They all have a copy of reverse transcriptase. And And lo and
1: behold, they're trying to, to ruin your access to NAC.
2: Exactly. Tony Fauci is 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 a is a murderous war criminal, racketeering agent who's who's <laughs> yes. not going he's not going to the right place after he's left this planet. No, no. And and um, that's the other thing. As 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 he individually used our taxpayer dollars to prove that we have the the, the most powerful single amino acid system for our immune systems, which all of these ER docs in Tennessee and I've even put this into Tennessee reports
0: Mm -hmm.
2: that that they should be considered using NAC to rescue somebody's lungs and immune system function who have, who have Mm COVID-19 and I'm reading a CTA for a PE on their and their lungs are full of of infiltrates from COVID. And, and that same ER doc, you know, that I call up is like, yeah, I mean, how come nobody's ever told me that what we rescue livers with, which is, dote, thats the trade name.
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: there's a Tennessee company actually that makes dote. Oh wow! Oh, that's
3: good
0: which
3: to is, know.
2: Which is okay. which is you know we're we're bringing we're bringing IVNAC therapy into our aeronautics performance clinic in in Okoboji, Iowa, for for when we have when we have you know we're taking care of, of people who have vaccine associated uh, acquired immunodeficiency syndrome even now. Wow. And we're putting them on IVNAC, oral, uh, L-cysteine, you know, the whole you immune know, yeah. the, 200, the North Dakota uh, CARES Act grant. Uh,
1: yeah, I want to, And I want to get to The
2: pharmaceutical rations that I yeah. developed on a federal grant. Yes.
1: yes. I,
2: developed fe- I developed the, 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 the end all be all of all these pandemics on a federal grant for for pennies compared to what Tony Fauci has used our dollars for to kill us all.
1: Yep, exactly. And so I promised listeners um, that you were going to tell a particular story and I want to get there, but I also want to talk about your purple powder. And since that's where we are right now, I'm going to go ahead. I've got pulled up on this. Oh, there you go. Oh yes. That's who I want you to tell everybody about. Yeah. So, um, uh, quickly tell everybody what the purple powder is and then let's go to this amazing recovery that you did for this woman, this woman in the memory care unit.
2: Okay. So I received a grant in October of 2020 from the North Dakota Ag Commissioner, who is the chief grants officer for the North Dakota CARES Act monies. And so we had already spent basically all but, uh, Half a million dollars of the North Dakota CARES Act grant. So there's this last request for proposals, and I got basically the last fifty thousand dollars out of the fifteen million that the federal government gave to North Dakota for the CARES Act. And so, um, with that, with that funding, and with that grant, um, I de- I developed a, a super nutraceutical
4: mm-hmm.
0: of
2: um, the three amino acids that form glutathione plus. Uh, beetroot powder, which is a vascular nitric oxide producing agent and mixed mix that in with spirulina. And that has spirulina has its own set of um, pigments that are antiviral. And that's in the, that's in the world's medical literature funded by our taxpayer dollars. And, and when you add a tart, um, a tartness to it, like lemon powder, Mm-hmm. And you get your salivary glands to, d- to dissolve and, and produce saliva instantaneously once this powder hits your mouth, then all of that, all of that good stuff is immediately going into your bloodstream through your through your what we call the buccal mucosal route. Um, sublingual nitroglycerin in the ER is is that's another kind of concept where we're we're using our mouth to actually bypass uh, drugs getting. Uh, destroyed by the stomach juices and gastric acid and things like that, mm-hmm. and so that's the same concept here. When you put this in your mouth, it goes immediately into the bloodstream that is feeding your uh, upper aerodigestive tract, your your nasal passages. Um, all the areas that are getting infected by COVID-19 mm-hmm. and, and sars coronavirus 2 and, and any other RNA virus. Uh, and the,
1: so the flu and anything else that comes right. along. Mm-hmm.
2: And people that start taking this, they not only do they not get sick with a lot of, you know, respiratory viral uh, illnesses, but we, we've actually had a couple of patients um, in a very prominent family, if anybody has ever heard of Wells Blue Bunny, um, there's there's a there are two family members in northwest Iowa from that family that started that that company uh, ice cream company uh, who have uh, literally had uh, life changing events by using the purple powder. One one was basically uh, languishing for a couple days with covid and uh, didn't want to go to the hospital because, you know, nobody trusts the doctors anymore. And so she, she took some, some of the purple powder a little bit more than the recommended dose on there under my medical direction with Brad Meyer in Northwest Iowa. And the next day she's like, I feel incredible. And so she's, you know, basically self-recovering very quickly. And and Mm -hmm. one of her, one of her nieces actually has a hyperbaric chamber in her home. And we were, we were mobilizing her to go in that. And the next day she's like, I don't think I need it. So the purple powder took care of it. And then uh, another family member uh, had a mild heart attack. He's in his 80s. And uh, you, you can see this story on the uh, Aeronautics Performance Clinic uh, Facebook site. OK, so the listeners can go to Aeronautics Performance Clinic Facebook site and see some of these stories in more in more depth. But um, this particular individual had a mild heart attack, had a depressed ejection fraction, which is our, our marker. Of how how well the heart is pumping. Once it's below fifty percent, um, we we start to say you you've got some heart damage. And and he went to his cardiologist, um, and ended up started taking the purple powder for a couple of of months, and then went back. And his his ejection fraction is now increased. And that's the only thing he did in his daily regimen was to to start taking the purple powder, the North Dakota. Uh, COVID rations, basically,
0: mm-hmm.
2: which which basically that's a formulation of the most important nutrients, in my professional and scientific opinion, for our mitochondria. And so,
1: yeah. So I I hate to uh, move you along too quickly, but we just got a few more minutes, and so let's let's get on to your amazing patient. I'm going to find her picture. I believe she's on here. So yeah. tell us about this memory recovery.
2: Okay. So, um, there's a, uh, the, the mother of an attorney in in Southern Minnesota, and this is actually very important that, you know, there's attorneys around the country who are starting to realize what kind of frauds we are in medicine. And they're, they're, they're starting to, to, um, push back in, in local and state levels. And, and so this attorney, uh, found our clinic in Northwest Iowa, just 15 miles over the border with Minnesota. And brought his mom in out of the dementia memory care unit in Southern Minnesota every day in April. And she had about 31 hour treatments of uh, hyperbaric air therapy primarily, and just 30% more um, pressure. And um, by the first week of May, she got discharged from her memory care unit, which is a medical legal precedent that from across state lines, Dr. Meyer and I and the aeronautics clinic team, we, we... we basically forced another physician in another state to have to write a discharge order for a memory care unit patient who has dementia as a diagnosis. And that's probably the first time that's ever happened in America. Wow. There's a medical legal document in, in, in service of this woman's recovery mm-hmm. that, that basically got her out of the dementry, dementia care unit. And then she's, she's golfing in the first week of May and she gets a par and, um, uh, I got to, I had the, the blessed, uh, opportunity in, in, in early June here, she stopped through the, the clinic to say hello. And, and, uh, she went through her, her whole golf outing and how great she's doing. And, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, this is just another series of, of recoveries of dementia that I've, that my practice has been affiliated with. And, and of course the, the Koska family. Um, Out in the Colorado Rockies, uh, you know, I'm the first physician in the history of the world to reverse dementia on on air pressure alone in the jurisdiction of altitude. And so so basically when I set up this protocol for Bobby Koska, it was it was the physiologic equivalent of him flying down to Omaha, Nebraska, sitting on the tarmac in Omaha, Nebraska for an hour and getting 30% more pressure at, at that altitude and then flying and flying physiologically back up to the Colorado Rockies where he lives at 9,000 feet. And mm-hmm. Ironies, his his soulmate is a former flight attendant who met him while he was playing baseball for the Minnesota Twins,
0: small wow. world.
1: Yeah, small world. So um, let's, see, let's see what the time is. We're getting down to just a couple of minutes list for listeners who are new to hearing you talk and new to Hbot give me a a dozen or so um, health conditions that Hbot um, is very helpful for
2: well it's it's better to do this in in a, in a different way okay because god has given us these incredible organelles that are the heart and lungs at a at a, at a molecular level of every cell and they're called mitochondria and we receive that gift from our mothers. this a matriarchal mat- matrilineal inheritance. So every thought you've ever had as one of God's soul vessels comes from the energy produced from the mitochondria that your mother gave to you at, at birth and in, in the womb at, at conception. When we focus on increasing the, the productivity, the efficiency of mitochondrial energy production, we then create a system that can then leverage all of God's genes in our cells to create the right mRNA species, the correct mRNA species that we need to regenerate injured cells, bring back our thoughts in our demented patients, bring back babies like Eden Carlson. If anybody wants to have the, the most heartwarming story ever you'll ever see in modern media, mm-hmm. go to USA Today, Eden Carlson, Hyperbaric and Harch. Type in H-A-R-C-H, HARCH. That's Dr. HARCH is the leading pioneer of hyperbaric medicine and protocols mm-hmm. in the history of, of modern America. And, and you will see just how simple and easy it is to allow God's genes and mitochondrial energetics to recover ourselves from all of these ailments and maladies, including but- pandemics.
1: I love that. And a final, awesome words uh, to part with. So, uh, Dr. Ted Fogarty, thank you so much for joining me today on an Informed Life Radio, eleven fifty a.m. KKNW. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we've got uh, media analyst Allison Morrow. Stay tuned.
3: God bless. If you're looking for a publication that delivers honest takes and critical insights into the issues of our day then look no further than The Flame Paper. The Flame Paper is written for the people, by the people, who aren't afraid to challenge a mainstream narrative, be it health care, voter fraud, political correctness, or even the one world government. The Flame is full of timely articles, reports, and expert advice written by freedom-loving, truth-telling experts, journalists, and concerned citizens. To subscribe, go to theflameusa.com.
1: During this unprecedented response to an infection outbreak, it has been made very clear that shutting down lives and businesses is not sustainable or repeatable. We've also learned that it's unnecessary. Treatments exist and always exist. For 99% of the population, nutrients and oxidative therapies that support the immune system and improve symptoms are always available to address viral infections. For the less than 1% who need more,
2: Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit
0: organization that advocates for healthy immunity, medical freedom, and fully informed medical consent. The right to make medical choices without coercion is fundamental to our civil liberties
2: and a basic principle in all human rights declarations. To learn more, tune in each Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. to an Informed Life radio and visit the website informchoice.com. Law.org. It's time to take a stand for medical freedom. Go to informchoicewa.org today.
1: Hello and welcome back to an informed life radio on 1150 AM KKNW um, and also streaming to CHD TV. I'm your host, Bernadette Pager. I hope you were able to hear Dr. Ted Fogarty in the last hour. He has got such great information. I mean, it really does come down to something as simple as mitochondria, your cellular energy. Um, very simple steps, we can all take nutrients, the right foods, the right balance to energize our mitochondria. Um, And so much health and healing uh, can come from that he is so brilliant. I just so admire him. And he's, he's gone through so much in his career to stand in his truth and he keeps plowing ahead and now we've got this wonderful purple powder so um, and I can tell you guys more uh, about that later we do have the formula on our website um, informchoicewa.org uh, he gives away the the formula recipe for free but if you want to make get it pre-made um, I'll get you a link to that as well so our guest this next hour is somebody that I met a couple of years ago, in the pre-COVID era, it seems like we all measure our lives now uh, before and after COVID. Um, her name is Allison Morrow, and she, when I met her, she was a TV journalist um, out in Washington State, and um, since then, she has left broadcast news and, and set out independently in order to be able to do the sort of stories she wants to do honestly, in the way she wants to do them without the censorship that was beginning to come um, piling down from um, broadcast. So I'd like to bring Allison on now. Hey, hey, Allison, there you are. It's good to see you. can you you. hear me okay? I can hear you very well. You're looking beautiful this afternoon, and you are in your own studio.
5: (laughs) Yeah, and you're so fancy now. You've got the CHD TV background and- yeah <laughs> <So> professional well <laughs> oh,
1: well it makes a nice green screen you know we, we try like to it. keep it all yeah yeah so um you know we've been on a journey, Allison you and I um, it's been kind of really interesting I it's so fun to watch you grow as as one of the people that has been an advocate for medical freedom and informed consent, you know along this route we have been just praying for good journalists like you to step up and fill in the gap and, and really create this whole new, um, uh, I don't want to say media empire, but other sources where people can go to to get uncoerced, uncensored information. So tell listeners a little bit about yourself and, and what you're doing now because you've got an awful lot of places people can now find you.
5: hmm well, it's funny when you use the word empire. I'm like, "Oh, huh, if this is what it's like to be an emperor, I don't know. Maybe I want to go back <laughs> to being a
1: pauper." But um, you know what uh, I meant. I, I just meant the vastness, I mean yeah. the fine information. I didn't I didn't want it controlled or tyrannical right. or anything.
5: <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I do think the independent voices are starting to rival the sort of legacy corporate world and that's why you're getting more and more headlines talking about these are the ten most likely disinformation spreaders on the internet. Uh, this is what we have to do to crack down on the internet. The internet is 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 uh, hurting public safety, and and there's just been so much focus from the corporate world on this this idea of disinformation and misinformation. And that's that focus. Maybe not the idea that people in the corporate legacy press were were aware of that before, but just the the amount of news that's coming out about how we really have to crack down on this mm-hmm. with very little concern in these corporate articles, these legacy press articles about what it means to <laughs> crack down on the internet and, and how that would affect journalism if you really believed in the ideal of journalism, mm-hmm. it shows that they are paying attention and and that there is an effect uh, at this point on, on public thought with those of us who are outside of that institutional world at this point, because I don't think if they, if they didn't, if they didn't see it as a threat and I don't, I know some people think that they see it as a threat for competition, but I genuinely believe a lot of them think that it's a threat for the 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 very existence of humanity. I mean, I really believe they think that's what they're fighting for yeah. by trying to crack down on on us. Um, but they wouldn't they wouldn't be wasting their time if they didn't recognize it as as a place that was changing thought or at least giving people an opportunity to see different thoughts. As hard as it is, because a lot of these platforms don't want you to do that at all, they become They have become the corporate press that I left in a lot of ways. So you have to fight tooth and nail to stay.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it seems like the the more they try to crack down on alternative voices, the more people go explore those alternative voices and see that what we are saying actually matches their reality more than the the marketing mantras they're hearing on legacy media. Right. So they're like, okay, who do I believe the person who's actually um, covering stories that match my experience and providing helpful information or these other people who are still trying to tell me, trust us. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I wanted to share with you real quick here. So this, um, if you can see that there, uh, there it is. It's not misinformation. It's the missing information in yeah. choicewa.org. Th- this was coined. It's not misinformation um, coined by Del Bigtree years ago, pre-COVID,
4: mm-hmm.
1: when the whole concept of disinformation, misinformation was really sort of in its infancy compared to where it is now. Um, and they were testing all this out. Um, but already we were battling with this sentiment. Um, And so we were really braced and and ready to go when they started throwing this term out. And if anybody ever is just pauses and, and thinks critically, you will, they will see that in legacy media and our government officials, they will say, Oh, there's all this disinformation and misinformation spreaders, blah, 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 but no specifics, zero specifics. And then if they ever do um dare attempt to try to give an example they give the most absurd example of something that nobody is actually attempting to say Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. it's like well we don't say that we agree with you that that's misinformation that's not true Mm -hmm. you know but they they really stay away from the things that we're saying that are true that that they don't want to hear it's it just seems to me um so obvious And I think it's becoming more and more obvious to more people. Again, I think it's that mismatch of individuals, reality and experience, not matching what's coming from Mm -hmm. these um, from these other places. So I wanted to ask you, Allison, I have been so busy and I regret that I have not had time to tune into your show and you you cover some great stories and um so listeners i mean it it, you give a snippet of it or some of it on youtube but to avoid censorship your full stories are going to other platforms so that you know Mm -hmm. people can find you on youtube but if they want to hear the rest of the story Mm -hmm. they have to go to rock finn and some other places
5: Right. And locals. my, My favorite platform right now for just community engagement and getting story ideas from people and really running a newsroom of sorts that's a two way street, not a top down model. So hearing from people who are the consumers of my work who are probably more informed in a lot of cases than I am. I look at them like an editorial board and we do have editorial board meetings actually once a week, um, on local. So that's allisonmorrow.locals.com A L I S O N, uh, one L yes, exactly. So if you go there and you, you sign up, you'll get all of my videos. Plus, Photos of our family moving towards a simpler life out in <laughs> the country, you know, all that good stuff. Our crazy horses and all my are you are you still in the stuff. airstream? We're still renovating the airstream. Okay, <laughs> we're going to be renovating the airstream until we either sell it or die. I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, yeah. The, the plan it, we were originally going to move into that, live in it, and then and then build a house, buy property, build a house. I think now we're looking for property with a house that needs a little bit of work but you could live in right away because we've seen how long it's taken us with a kid to do the airstream it just like our kid will live in a trailer forever until she goes to (laughs) college or who knows so so i think we're we're probably not going to do that but but we would love to have the airstream for traveling uh at this point and and just being able to Explore the country, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, even have it like if people come visit us, they can stay in it. So we don't want to totally give up on it yet. But yeah, that was the original plan. I don't think we're seeing <laughs> it. What you were saying earlier about the uh, this word misinformation, and then also the idea of a uh, publicly associating with people who are labeled agents of misinformation is something that i think is a relatively new phenomenon at least in in the world of journalism and one of the main reasons that i do what i do because i focus on censored people really the unpopular people in the in the world of sort of the the protected class these would be the the most unpopular like the lepers the intellectual lepers who may very well be right but yeah. they're you know they could be dead right in the sense that they have really they've flown right over the crosshairs of something that somebody does not does not want others to see and it's not even just the information that i'm trying to preserve the idea that that people should speak from their different perspectives and allow the listeners to decide but rather the actual the act of associating with those people publicly and pushing back on this idea that that you need to distance yourself from those with different ideas, or else be called any number of, yeah. of names and then also be ostracized along with them. I think the idea of of association, of, of freedom to associate, because we we technically have the freedom to associate, but what what the last few years especially has done for us has we has caused us to to dissociate on our own. So you don't need police or the government to necessarily tell you, I mean, they did certainly in lockdowns keep us away from each other, but even when those are lifted, we still self-impose these disassociations with people who are different because we've been manipulated to think that if we even associate with somebody, we may disagree with everything that they say, but if we Mm -hmm. are seen publicly with them, if we talk to them, if we even maybe find some point that we do agree on, all of a sudden we have identified with them. We have become that person. We're now in their category and people are afraid of that, of the consequences of the social consequences of that. And I just, I just can't say enough how dangerous I think that is. And I just outright, reject that. And so yes. especially as a somebody who worked as a full time journalist in a, a major outlet in the Pacific Northwest with a major logo behind me, I'm shocked that there are there's even one journalist, but actually I think it's the majority that espouse the opposite view, which is that journalism is about silencing these these rogue thinkers instead of what I I had thought it was when I got into it. And I think we all agreed on when I first got into it. And that was exploring the rogues ideas, like trying to figure out who was the dissenter and, 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 and how did they arrive at that conclusion? And, and it had nothing to do with endorsing them or uh, becoming part of their team or you know, any of that stuff. It was, it was, it was truly because it was like, if there were people who had different ideas especially people who others agreed with and had been in their particular field of expertise for instance for a long time the journalist idea job in essentially was to to go figure out like how that person arrived at those and then give the viewer the opportunity to figure out if, if they bought it or not, not to figure out who these people were that were breaking the mold and then go out and just smash them down and get them out of the, you know, get them out of the drawer of cookie cutters. Cause we need to keep our little cookie cutters shaped the way that we want them. And this one's, you know, doesn't, is not looking we don't want cookies like this. So we're just going to toss it out. That's not journalism. That that's no. straight propaganda. And, and, and it's like, like I was saying earlier, when you when journalists they're human, so they're they're subject to the same psychosocial phenomena as any other person. And when they're told over and over again, "This is a dangerous idea," like I was when I met you, Bernadette. <laughs> <laughs> we can talk about that. Yeah. Um, you know, this is a dangerous <laughs> idea, and not even could you lose your job if you kept going down this route but you're going to be ostracized from your peers. You know, there will be serious social consequences to going down that path. Uh, It's an effective tactic. And so that's what I do with my work now is to just basically just take a bulldozer back at that idea that we have to stop associating with people who are different. We have to stop listening to people who are different. That, that, That actually, I think the real risk to public health and public safety and all the things that the other side says we have to silence for is the silence itself and the dissociation yes. itself and so right. i just i just refuse to play that game
1: Exactly. And there's just, I mean, everything you say, it's spot on. I mean, I think we could spend hours talking about various aspects of why this is so wrong to, to put those ad hominem attacks, those labels on people merely for um, daring to question, daring to interview, daring to associate. And I mean, when in human history has it ever gone well to... Um, to create this very tight web of what is permissible to say and think and, and hang around with. So I I applaud you. And you know, you, the more you do it, the more you get used to it. I've been doing it a long time. People say I've got duck oil, you know, Um, (laughs) but you know, this is where we need to go. We need free speech. So, um, and you lost a job. You lost a job because you were choosing to do these interviews and your employer was doing exactly what you just said, was saying right. you were, you, you were associating with people they didn't approve of.
5: Mm-hmm. Um, right. And my, my employer was the government. So it wasn't even a private corporation, which has, uh, you know, protection to sort of hire and fire based on that kind of thing. The government is supposed to abide by the first amendment, which is my argument was my argument to them when I was employed as to why I was not going to stop. Yeah. Obviously all the reasons I've already stated were, were other reasons why I was not going to stop. But I, I I interview all these people who have had faced, have faced severe consequences financially, socially uh, sometimes their health because of the stress of what it's like walking through some of this darkness. And Mm -hmm. I just, you know, I also just, I couldn't, I wouldn't be waking up with a clear conscience. I don't know if I could sleep at night if, if I had, uh, if I had just bowed out because I, I was going to keep this job. And, and it's unfortunate because the, the person Hillary friends is the commissioner of public lands in Washington state. She was my boss and she'll be running for governor. Mark my words, She's going to be one of the front runners for governor of Washington state in a year or so, you know, she'll be running um, in the next gubernatorial election against Bob Ferguson, the attorney general, who has his own track record of corruption. But, uh, you know, I, these are the people who are going to lead the state. And that's another thing, too, was it was just like, no, I just can't, I can't sit back. I know the kind of power, it, it may seem to a lot of people like, well, that's just the Department of Natural Resources, who cares? But, you know, all of these stacked together add up to a whole country of government agencies and Hospitals and public institutions and sometimes private institutions. You know, my old uh, news ownership company has you know mandates and um, and yeah, I just I, I I I couldn't fathom how a government official could could just come in like if you were about science and here I am interviewing doctors and scientists about about their criticisms of the mandates and you're a public official who has a mandate, a vaccine mandate, and you also are the leader of a science based agency. Okay. Yeah. Maybe one opportunity you have is to say, huh, Allison's. I didn't realize that these people were out there and maybe we don't need a mandate after all. And maybe I should go listen to the doctors, but instead they were, all they cared about was that the doctors were undermining. That's what they said, undermining their vaccine mandate. And they didn't care that they were doctors or bioethicists or professionals who had far more knowledge than they did to talk about this uh, public health policy. Uh, all they wanted me to do was to shut up and stop talking to them. And I just I yeah, I just find that absolutely fascinating. There was no interest in learning what they had to say. And mm-hmm. you, would, you would say those doctors do not have uh, any place in the public square to discuss uh, what these mandates are, or whether we should have them, the vaccines mm-hmm. themselves—it's just crazy to me. But that's yeah. just like I said—that just goes to show the level of hubris. I think that that we're we are now in our our little tribes, thinking that there can't possibly be anything good coming out of the other side. We just there just can't be. And so the best thing to do is just. Like my bosses wanted me to do, just stick your fingers in your ears and, and then shut up.
1: Yeah, never going to happen. <laughs> so good for you, Allison. You know, I'm, you have a history. Um, you, you studied, uh, was it theology? Um, mm-hmm. and in, psychology. And psychology. So um, is that something that you feel really sort of feeds the foundation of who you are as you know guiding principle in your work this mm-hmm. this you know y- your your own faith cuz because what i what i'm seeing is that you know most of my childhood everybody talked about separation of church and state and you know you're not supposed to bring religion into it and they were it was like this major schism this fracture between who you were as what your brain thought and what your soul felt or believed right we were they were trying to divide us and one of the things that I I feel like COVID has shown all of us or the response to COVID is that while we want separation of church and state at the government level because we don't want the government telling us what to believe what our spiritual you know journey is. However, we cannot separate ourselves and our life decisions from our own spirituality. I think that has been a major mistake that individuals in their jobs have been able to, I mean, you know, even look at Biden. Right now, he says it's a sad day because Roe v. Wade was overturned. He says Mm. he's a Catholic. So how is he intellectually separating you know, that which he professes to believe in his soul. I you know, I don't want him pushing his beliefs on me. and yet, you know, I think all of us, whether we're we're, we're journalists, um, activists, doctors, scientists, I think if we don't embrace that moral, spiritual side of ourselves and allow it to help us be our best, you know, in our chosen professions, that we're in big trouble. And a lot of people are talking about God, faith, good versus evil, all of that in a way that I have never heard before in my life. I've never experienced Mm -hmm. at this level before. Are you finding that as well in your interviews?
5: Meaning that people are talking about good versus evil more than ever before? Oh yeah, I think so. I think I think there are a lot of a lot of people on, on all sides um, who yeah who 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 believe that they're not just involved in some kind of ideological or information war, but are are involved in some kind of spiritual or existential
3: battle. Mm-hmm. Even
5: those people who don't even believe in. If there being anything more somehow, you know, I always think it's funny when, when people who don't even really believe in anything else besides like what you see in front of you start talking about uh, metaphysics and, you know, the existence of man and, and, and it's just a greater purpose and good and evil. I'm like, but what is it? You know, cause it, I, I was an environmental reporter and there's not really good and evil in the wild. I mean, animals just do what they what they do. Like they, you know, they're predators or they're prey and they just fulfill their purpose. And humans Mm -hmm. have a whole other level of consciousness, I believe. And that's why I, you know, I, and and a spiritual side. And that's why I believe that, that we have the problems that we do. Um, But yeah, it's always funny to me when people are, don't, don't believe in anything more and then they're talking about good and evil. I'm like, okay, well, where does that come from? But we, it's interesting too also, as you bring up that we've seen kind of a decline in sort of organized religion At the same time, at least sort of the Judeo-Christian in the United States, you know, churches are got like five people in the pews and more and more people say they don't affiliate with a religion. And yes, at the same time, also, we see this growing trend of people believing that they're part of some kind of existential battle. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, yeah, as far as your question about, like, does it inform my work? I mean, uh, yeah, it's, it's the very fabric of just who I am. It's not... It's not something that you can turn off, like once it turns on inside of you. And uh, Mm -hmm. I think it, it, you know, go ahead.
1: Well, yeah. And I I mean, I, I sense that with you, I I sense that you have this strength of, and confidence and it it doesn't come across as ego or arrogance. It's just, it's a, it's a belief that you're earnestly doing what you believe to be right. And I, I, I admire that, and I, I'm seeing it in more people. And I feel like when, when enough people begin to allow to, to choose their actions to match. That And some are saying it's gut instinct, you know, it's, you know, there's so many different names for what it is. But there's so many people out there knowing that they are not living as they should, especially like a lot of doctors and nurses caught up in this horrific Mm -hmm. medical system, where they're being asked to do things that they see are wrong. Um, As soon as we get enough people to find that moral courage to take that step to live their truth. Then this this really is going to flip, and I think in a in a mm-hmm. very good way. I want to uh, return here to your. Uh, I pulled up your your page again here, and I want to look oh at God. some of the the stories that you've covered. So I'll scroll a little bit and and read out a little bit what you've done. And if you see one a story that you want to expand on and and tell my viewers that w- that would be fantastic. So yeah, I mean, you I just- did one. What, what's the, it's getting savage out there. That was today.
5: That is uh, about uh, the former TV anchor in Phoenix who quit and is running for governor in Arizona. And she was approached by a CNN reporter outside one of her events and asked for an interview. And she said, I'll do an interview if it airs on CNN Plus. Does that still exist? Oh, no, it doesn't. <laughs> because people don't watch what you're peddling because it's propaganda and then just walk past her. So we, my buddy Bill Doris, who used to also be in TV, we just did a video about how the idea of kind of slamming the media is not necessarily new, but to see current journalists or former journalists going after each other publicly is kind of new. It, it, it's sort of, you know, the the in-group fighting and the peers kind of going after each other. That's, that's not something, or like people just quitting publicly. Like I, I didn't quit TV news publicly. I, I, I left quietly um, for a mm-hmm. lot of the reasons we've discussed, mm-hmm. but, but I do talk publicly about the problems in the industry since I left though. You know, people are making very public announcements about why they're leaving TV news. Even uh, somebody who had just started a few months before I left my job in Seattle just tweeted something about how reporters are undervalued and they don't make enough money and they don't have time. You know, I do think they don't have enough time for sure, and they they don't really get paid a lot. But I also don't think they necessarily deserve to get paid a lot because a lot of the stuff they do is crap. Um, you know, <laughs> I don't think they can just paid people more. I don't think yeah. the money is the problem. You know what I mean? I'm one of those people who has believed maybe smarter people go do something else. I guess, but but I, I, I I've I've never believed that if you just got rid of private advertising and you just put public funding into journalism that you would all of a sudden get rid of this problem of bias and propaganda. In fact, <clears throat> I think it could get worse. Money was never something that I ever heard brought up in editorial board meetings where you're sitting there in the in the morning and going around the, the table and talking about what should be covered. Nobody said well, guys, don't forget, I mean, we probably shouldn't question Big Pharma today because we get so much money from them. There was nothing like that. Everybody around the table is like a true believer. And even my boss, who was, you know, towards the end of my career, was the one who told me that if you question vaccines, that you were literally like psycho, that that you were you were just not living in reality. He, he wasn't thinking that he, that he believed that because I was going rogue and could put our budget at risk. Mm-hmm. He believed I was putting his life at risk if I had any of those questions, and so these yeah. people are true believers. The money is not is not the main problem with ninety five percent, if not more, of those where,
1: people. Right, where the money comes in, though, is is very sneaky because you, your former boss was a true believer, and many others are true believers because the information fed to them, right, is fed to it's them funded. from pharma, and yeah. and so it's. What we have now is, is something very dangerous, and that's everything that comes off the news wire. you know, mo- most of it is not vetted. A, a story will come across, uh, Moderna says that their shot is 95% effective. Well, this gets read everywhere.
5: Mm -hmm. There's
1: no journalists, no um, legacy journalists going and doing a deep dive, looking at the data, looking to see what this is based on, coming back and reporting. Well, Moderna said this in a press release. However, this is what we found. So journalism isn't happening. And then if it comes from um, the CDC or the FDA or the NIH or from Fauci, I mean, no questioning, no criticism. They're just taking it as golden gospel. And so Mm -hmm. and and. So they're being fed bad, bad information. You know, I really do think there's a lot of really good people caught up in a really bad system. We have mm-hmm. got to start criticizing our public health system from the top down. There's no checks and balances. You know, CDC says, boo, everybody runs. If you criticize, you're an anti-vaxxer. Shut up already. Don't associate right. with that person. You know, mm-hmm. um, they've got it. They've got it pretty well controlled.
5: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And a lot of journalists don't realize that even when it's just a it's a nonprofit, for instance, and they offer up a doctor or it's a hospital, they offer up like we did this study or, hey, if you want to talk about this, this decision or this mandate, our doctor, blah, 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 can talk to you about it. And it seems really banal. And so then you just, because like, who would think a doctor was going to spin information, you know? Right, so yeah. so you just think doctors all, I mean, it's it seems so stupid to think this at this point now down the rabbit hole that, where I live. But back in the day, we just took for granted that doctors all kind of thought the same way and scientists mm-hmm. all kind of thought the same way. And if it was a mainstream narrative that it wasn't because it was created that way by special interests, but because... You know, this just was the truth, and and the, the people who broke away from it, you know, ah, uh, maybe they had other ideas, but but just we just accepted that that things came up organically because they were just true, not because there was somebody who had a, a vested interest in you thinking that.
4: Yeah. Um, and yeah. so
5: yeah, so you don't realize where the money's going, where the money's the money's funding these nonprofits, the money is funding. The doctors and the hospital groups, the money, you know, mm-hmm. co- comes into the training and you know just all all that stuff. You just and the manipulation tactics of the commercials themselves. I mean, journalists watch TV, right? They're sitting at home watching Netflix or whatever else, and mm-hmm. and uh, and so their favorite show has a Pfizer menor. They they drive down the highway and they see a big billboard which is like "Protect your kids, vaccinate Washington," and they're just constantly bombarded with that. So if you don't have If you don't already have a different perspective or you don't have a manager who's who's pushing you to think differently, but actually doing the opposite, then, you you know, that's just not that's not a place where intellectual growth is going to happen. And another problem, too, is which is why I always say if I were to teach a journalism class, I would talk about the human side of things, not. Like the journalist, I would start with the journalist, not with the news, because I would want journalists to start having self-awareness. I think that's the number one thing is to just is to be able to see your biases, to see what makes you scared. Like, why does this idea make you scared? Why do you agree with this person? Why do you want that person to be right? Like, why are you cheering for that side? These are all things that you just aren't regularly discussed in newsrooms, but Mm -hmm. it would be like a psychotherapist having a bunch of clients and they've got some real serious issue from their past that they never dealt with. And they just have all these clients coming in there working their problem out through. I mean, yeah, that would yeah. be bad, right? Yeah. So there's just a lot to fix on the, on the human level before you even get to the systemic level of, of where legacy news is at this point.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I haven't shown this in a while. You, you just made me think about when, cause we were talking about nonprofits and associations, all the things that you think, think you should be able to trust as a a journalist, as a, you know, bringing news. So here is the Association of Immunization Managers. This, every single head of every immunization department at the state level in the United States belongs to this organization. You know, it's a It's a nonprofit and they get together and they, um, I'm pretty sure it's Mm -hmm. a nonprofit. I have to look at its exact structure. When I discovered this several years ago, I about fell out of my chair. I could not believe what I was looking at um, because I'll show you, I'm going to scroll down here and look, the corporate alliance. So our public health departments in every state, this is who they partner with. (laughs)
4: <laughs> Merck and yeah. Pfizer
1: and Sanofi, Sequeros, Janssen, oh, AstraZeneca, man. VBI vaccines, never even heard of that one. And then we've got, look at this, we've got Gold Corporate Alliance, GlaxoSmithKline, STC Health, Moderna, you know, that's new since, um, right. you know, COVID. And then all these others in the Bronze Corporate, look at that. Um, yep. And what happens is... Um, Every year, this AIM, Association of Immunization Managers, um, at least pre-COVID, they would have a conference. And these conferences were funded by the pharmaceutical industry, and mm-hmm. they would host educational events. And I just remember quite clearly, because I got a hold of some of the slides, one of their educational events, they were teaching public health departments that one of their biggest enemies were individuals like me. Mm-hmm. who went to board of health meetings and gave public comment and we went to our legislators and talked about our concerns and need for vaccine safety reform that sort of thing so mm-hmm. these are the sort of things that journalists are absolutely oblivious to that that mm-hmm. legacy media is oblivious to this this cozy tangle and mm-hmm. you know i've said so many times that as individuals, I've gone to these meetings, I've gone and talked to them. As individuals, these are good people. These aren't evil people. They don't think they're doing bad. Just like you mm-hmm. said, they don't think they're doing bad. But when you step back and you realize that all of the information being fed to them is all completely controlled, completely mm-hmm. controlled by the pharmaceutical industry. And so of course they believe what they believe because they they're swimming in it. They're like fish in a swimming in water and they have no idea there's a water around them. Cause that's mm-hmm. all they've ever known, you know,
0: mm-hmm.
5: anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, totally. Yeah. Well, a lot of, uh, I, you know, my, my sort of um, theological perspective on it is I don't, I don't even believe there's good people. I just believe there are people and people are fallible <laughs> and you know they can mm. be deceived. And I had a pastor once who said, there's no such thing as a good man. There are just men and a good God. And that's what I believe. And I, and I think, unfortunately, there's, there's hero worship, even among journalists they want to be part of the, of the cool kids team. If they've, if they've got, uh, something else that, that makes them feel like they belong to something greater, um, all of those things can be used to deceive them. I think another part of my theology is that, like I said, the human, uh, mind and human heart are very easily, uh, taken in wrong directions. And so you got to be aware of that. And, uh, if you don't constantly think that way, like if you're, you're not like, okay, you know who not to, not like you're a psycho and you think the, the cashier at the grocery store is like trying to always screw you over. Like, I'm not trying to say people should be like that, but at least be aware like that. I, I as a human am built to want to participate in something greater. I want to, and some people may call it worship something or, or be a, you know, just, there's an existential drive to, to be a part of something. And it's very easy to end up being a part of something evil if you don't have a compass on something that never changes. And that's, I mean, that really is at the basis of my theology is that, you know, and and why I wouldn't give in to my bosses and why I keep Mm -hmm. hanging out with the intellectual lepers, which is what Jesus said. You know, I don't worry about the consequences because at at the end of the day, really, like, I I do really believe the good and evil battle. And I believe, uh, uh, you know, there's nothing in exchange that anyone could give me that's as valuable as my very soul. So I'd I'd rather keep that and, and, and to God and just let that, you know, that other stuff has no real Mm long-term or, or, um, eternal effect on me. But if you're scared, you're a human being who's just generally scared about like, you're scared about, uh, what your reputation is going to be, or you're scared that, um, your finances, you're never going to, you know, God's never going to provide. You're just going to like, if you, if you do this, you're out and, and you're done. There's no hope for you past your boss. Your boss holds the, your very existence in his or her hands, or you're not even like thinking that way. You're just, you, you actually have turned yourself into like a mini God of sorts where you're going to start saving all these people. And I think that's probably the most dangerous, uh, you know, perspective that a lot of journalists have. They, they get into it because they, they're going to like save the world and then they find these causes to participate in. And, and, and the government is and these companies are great at giving journalists a cause to participate in and a way to feel like they matter and they're saving the world and, and they're they're keeping the evil people like you or me. <laughs> of so it is yeah. if you can yeah. get somebody to really buy into that existential yeah. battle, but yeah. you can use their narcissism and their ego in that, Mm -hmm. you know, where they think that they're, they think that they're, they've got, well, they're not going to think it's a God complex, but they think that what they're doing is something great when really, in fact, it's, it's evil because Mm -hmm. they can't see the ego. They can't see how their narcissism and ego and, and insecurities are playing into it. That's, that is the most powerful way to move people, you know, in, in, in the evilest way, but the most powerful way to move Mm -hmm. them is not to get them to think, they're, you know, oh, I don't want to do this, but I just have to like, that's one level that we've seen of propaganda over the last couple mm-hmm. of years. Like, you know, I feel bad that we're having to do this, but we just have to, cause it's a dangerous time. The next level up is like, no, I believe in this. I, I truly believe that we're doing this. And you know what? if if people suffer because of it sorry but you're you're on the wrong side of history and we're just going to ramrod through people's lives and um you know through history itself because we believe that you know we just we just have this we're the angels of truth you know what i mean we just got to do it and and that that once you mobilize people to think that way especially journalists that's a real problem because wow. those people can do some really big damage
1: they can do big damage and you know one of the things that has always made me feel very good and safe, even when you would think I would feel otherwise in this movement that I'm on, where you're so attacked and labeled, you know, is because the vast majority of the individuals that, I, that are on this path with me, they approach it from a place of grace and love and open hearts and forgiveness Um, they, you know, we try to, we try to bring information so people can make good decisions. Mm -hmm. Um, but we try not to like force or judge or, you know, um, or give up on people. It's such, it's such a loving movement, this movement for medical freedom, for informed consent, for freedom altogether. Um, and it's, it's very empowering and it's so peaceful. And it's just, it's amazing that, you know, those who oppose us are tr- keep trying to label us as violent and you have never met more peaceful, kind, loving people. I mean, there's exceptions to all of that, but you know what mm-hmm. you were saying about the journalists and having a cause, there's a name for that. And Dr. Robert Malone, about two or three months ago, wrote a really good piece on that. And there was a specific term for the type of journalism that is cause oriented, you know, where you're. Activist
5: journalism. Was that what he called it? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Maybe, maybe you read the same one. I thought it was really insightful. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to go again to your, your page here and see, are there any other stories that you covered that you'd like to jump on to and tell me a little bit about? I've, I've got it pulled up here and,
5: Um, Well, we've done a lot with, um, well, just yesterday, I was talking to a former reporter who does independent stuff now about how USA Today just deleted 23 articles. And the reason that, because basically they said that their reporter just fabricated them. And the reason that I, I constantly bring that kind of stuff up when it arises is just because I once again, want to dispel this idea that the media is always right. If they work for a big brand, you know, a big box store media company never gets it wrong, but everybody who's out in the wild West of independent media, like those are the people you really got to watch out for because they get things wrong. And and I've never said that there's not misinformation on the internet or that people that do independent work don't get stuff wrong. Uh, I've just wanted to push back and say the the corporate news and the government together, are the largest spreaders of misinformation and disinformation out there. And it's fascinating to me that they think that somebody like you, like when people who have like no budget, no power, they go after them. It's like, yeah, I, I was watching this MSNBC segment the other day, where they were talking about extremism and, and how people get their news on Facebook and how crazy that is. And and they're just like, that's not where you get news. That's not where you get news. I mean, I just can't believe, like, what do we do about this? Like, how do we how do we do this? And like never once in their segment, do they, it, it, they think about the fact that like Joe Smith, who's getting his news on Facebook, has no power compared to you, MSNBC. And I'll never forget one of them goes, well, oh, this was the former Obama communications director that they had on for the segment because he just wrote a book about all this stuff um, about election stuff and whatnot. And he goes, well, we don't have to go as far as creating our own Fox news or anything, but blah, blah, blah. I'm like, dude, you have a Fox news. It's called MSNBC. Like you're on <laughs> it right now. You know <laughs> what I mean? what is wrong with these people? They have, they have these huge, massive budgets. They have all the connections to the most powerful people in the country. And then they go after like a single doctor or a lady with a radio show. And they're like, these are the disinformation. They're doing yeah. all these terrible things. Like, are you crazy? Like, what about all the wars you've led us into? What about the things that you've gotten wrong with pharmaceuticals? What about, you know, the, the environment? I mean, that's what I covered. Like how many things you've gotten wrong and you have busted over with the environment. It just, the list goes on and on. And they never see how, how they participate in this very system that they think everybody else is doing. So we yeah. just show like, hey, USA today just took 23 articles away. And that's just like that. And did you hear any of the mainstream news say, See, this is just another example of how corporate news spreads fake fake news. No, yeah. they just okay. They took the articles away, yeah. and this happened. They left it at that. It was a it was a one and done. Yeah. They left. It at that. That's what happened. They didn't get this 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 big argument built that they should get rid of USA Today. They would never do that to each other. Talk about no. trying to get rid of USA Today because they. So I do that. I talked about. Um, we talked about the the dead cattle in Kansas. I talked to, with yeah. a regenerative farmer about uh, our big food problems in in the United States and centralized food and nutrition and all that stuff, which is a fascinating conversation. Um,
1: what did he say about the cows?
5: What did he say? Yeah. He, well, his take was, it could have been something more nefarious, but when you have a bunch of cows that are eating food that they're not naturally meant to eat in heat with no shade and very little, you know, limited access to water and just dirt. Um, that are already basically sick, that it would not be surprising if you just had a bunch of dead cattle in that kind of situation. And that at the end of the day, um, you know, he, he's a fifth generation, well, fourth, and then his daughters are taking over the farm. They're fifth generation. They've got kids, sixth generation. So all the way back to the mid 1800s is his farm. And he, he's seen his, you know, his dad was the one who started the whole corporate CAFO uh, industrialized uh, f- food, you know, participation on their farm. So they've done all that. He ran a feedlot mm-hmm. on his farm and everything like that. And they've, they've been through that. He went to the University of Georgia. He studied all ag, ag nutrition where they tell him, you know, just feed them Twinkies all day because nobody wants Twinkies at the grocery store. So just give them the cow. <laughs> Jeez. He told me how they they grind up candy with the plastic wrappers still on. They, it all goes through like a food processor. And so so, you know, no one's unwrapping like the little twizzlers or whatever else and it goes through a food processor and then becomes feed with the plastics in it. I mean, just crazy. Are you <laughs> so, crazy? Uh, no, I'm not kidding. I mean, I, I said, Are you serious? He goes, I give you my word with his very like thick George accent that, you know, and he's so- uh, all the guys he's been in beef for Decades, You know, his whole family has been in and now he's a regenerative farmer. So he does, you know, all kinds of animals and switches the pasture and grazing and stuff. And and, and obviously said consumers are going to eventually drive the change if you want to see it, uh, because the mm-hmm. markets gonna decide if people want better food, it will be there. But if you decide, you know, you don't want to care. And I think, you know, Bernadette, honestly, I know we're kind of getting towards the end of the show. That's kind of the big picture when it comes to the media, food, medicine. If if you're a if you're a bench sitter, and America has been really good at sitting the bench and letting a couple people on the team mm-hmm. decide which direction and who's going to win and who's going to lose and all that stuff, then we're going to get this system that we have. I remember Doctor Zach Bush saying the same thing once when I, when I interviewed him that mm-hmm. basically. If what you want is to just come home and pop some food in the microwave that's got plastic on top of it and your dinner's ready in 20 seconds and you don't want to know what your, where your food comes from, where what the animals ate, you don't want to have a garden, you don't want to touch dirt, you don't want to know anything about it, you just want fast, efficient, quick, and you don't want to be bothered with it, then this is exactly what you would expect as far as a medical industry is concerned, as far as the government is concerned, as far as these corporations are concerned, as far as your food is concerned. And so more than anything and more than ever... It's time for people to really start getting involved and you know, maybe you can't get involved in every area right away, but pick something, you know, pick something to just start mm-hmm. doing different tomorrow or to learn about tomorrow and start taking some agency. Cause the more people start doing that, the harder it's going to be for, um, you know, for this stuff to just get swept right under the rug into the shadows, which is what it's been easily done because so many people chose efficiency and just, you know, just other things that we were taught to care about instead of the very, You know, essence of our existence, our ability to speak, our ability to associate, our ability to choose um, what we want to go into our bodies, Mm -hmm. uh, our ability to support our local economy and our farmers, like all these things we just kind of, we just decided we didn't want to be bothered with those. And then, and then when we're surprised that we are where we are.
1: It really did take something as huge as the response to COVID and the things being done um, with COVID as an excuse to us um, for people to really be shaken from their complacency, from thinking, you know, I can just get it's easier. I'll just get away with it. I don't want to bother. You know, we really have had fallen into um, uh, that way of thinking. And, you know, I've got I admit until I was, I don't know, 50 or so, I was not actively involved I was just going to a job and living a life and you know doing things you know very surface I would think in a way you know and I I didn't realize I was Mm -hmm. until I found a cause that was bigger than me that captured my heart and I you know went for it and then that transformed my whole life and everything began to open up and um But more and more people, exactly what you're saying is they're realizing the danger of complacency, the danger Mm -hmm. of just going along to get along. Mm
5: -hmm.
1: What we have found, a lot of people, it's like, well, that doesn't pertain to me. I'm not going to fight. That's not my war to fight. And, you know, there's that famous saying where, you know, they came for the Jews and I wasn't Jewish, so I didn't stand up. Right now, you know, everybody is learning there's no corner to hide in from a lot of what's happening. Eventually, and- they're coming for you and what you value and what you want. And if you haven't stood up for others, yeah. or made those cho- those choices to, to to have life be somewhat different from where it's heading. Um, so yeah, it's time it's time for yeah. all of us to join together.
5: Yeah, and I wanted to say one quick thing on that note, like related to some of the stuff, the people that I've been interviewing, like I have I interviewed the attorneys who won the suit against the mask mandate, the travel mask mandate, or I just interviewed an attorney who is a constitutional attorney in New York and is suing over their quarantine and isolation policy for it's just crazy. Like basically you just get forced into quarantine or isolation using the police force without their having to even prove that you're a danger to public safety. Or I believe even if that you're like really ill, that just, if you've had contact with somebody, it's, it's, it's a really interesting, um, interesting is probably a nice word, but uh, regulation. Yeah, yeah. So they're suing against that, but this is the interesting thing. She told me that when they pitched it to the, I believe it was, I want to say it was the Wall Street Journal. I, I could, maybe it was the Washington Post. I think it was but the yeah, Wall Street just Journal. Just really real quick here. Oh.
1: Okay. One, go ahead.
5: Just go finish
1: ahead. up. Okay. 30 seconds. Okay. So
5: basically, <laughs> she said that when they pitched the story to the reporter, that the reporter said, I don't think that's going to happen, so it's not news. And that's, you know, that's the problem with how, you know, journalism is right now. Like, if you're, once again, to go back to that complacency, if you're complacent, you don't think it matters, and you're in the media, that's how you get the news that you're getting, because they just don't think it's yeah. news.
1: So where do we go? Your website real quick?
5: AllisonMorrow.locals.com. See you there.
1: Okay, that's <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Allison, for joining me on an informed life radio, 1150 AM KKNW and CHD TV. We will be back next week. Have a great weekend.
3: Delivers honest takes and critical insights into the issues of our day. Then look no further than the flame paper. The flame paper is written for the people by the people who aren't afraid to challenge a mainstream narrative, be it healthcare, voter fraud, political correctness, or even the one world government. The Flame is full of timely articles, reports, and expert advice written by freedom-loving, truth-telling experts, journalists, and concerned citizens. To subscribe, go to theflameusa.com.
4: Hi, I'm Lynn Redwood, president of the nonprofit Children's Health Defense. Our chairman, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and our entire team are devoted to ending the epidemic of illnesses and disorders plaguing our children today. Through legal action, we're working to hold industries and government agencies accountable and to establish safeguards to prevent further harm. We're working overtime during this COVID-19 crisis to keep you informed about the politics and science of rush vaccine candidates. Freedom and our children's futures have never been more in jeopardy but we can succeed. With your help, we can stop the devastation and give our children and grandchildren the healthy future they deserve. To learn more about what we're doing and how you can help, visit childrenshealthdefense.org and sign up for our free news. Please visit childrenshealthdefense.org today.
0: Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you.